Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, so say goodbye to all your stubble and trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. So make sure you get 20% off in free shipping when you go to manscaped.com by using the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Once again, that's 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at manscaped.com. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. We are back. It's 2023 and the MD's Fantasy Football Show for the first time this year is finally back on the microphone for a full live episode if you've been following us along, yes, on TikTok and Instagram and social media and all those wonderful places, we've been dropping videos left and right, trying to keep you guys up to date. While I promise you, I've been working on a ton of things here on the back end. So I'm keeping up to my promise. We will be full go come next season. Still changing things, still trying to critique. We'll find out exactly what our schedule is going to be, which reminds me, I should mention, this is not us being back once a week just yet. This is like the... uh the soft opening to a grand opening when the new store first opens up. We're sliding to 2023. We'll be back in full force probably another few weeks from now, definitely for the NFL draft coverage. But if you're new to the show, welcome. Thank you for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. I'm your host, Dan Mater. I'm joined by co-host, Danielle Dubois. Danielle, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be back. Say to have you back for a full season. So this is, you had your rookie year, okay? Now you had your little off season. We still have some training camp to go through, and you'll be full blown come next year. I have no no doubt about it. And uh, so one of the things I actually want to change up how we do things is I want to introduce a guest in a very very special way. So let's hit that real quick. <laughs> And now, introducing to you, from the Injured List Podcast, 
the number one medical professional personality on the airwaves today, Mr. Brian Scott. Wow. Wow. That's... You can only do that in the offseason because I wouldn't have vocal cords in the end season. <laughs> the I... season if I had that. Oh, that's impressive. <laughs> Very impressive. Uh, I'm honored, by the way. Um, I didn't expect that. That was great. Thank you. Oh, Brian, love having you on, and especially now. So if yeah. you guys couldn't figure it out, we have Brian on, which means we are talking about the injury inquiries, the, you know, what's going on. And, you know, one thing that caught me while I'm doing the videos, I'm working on some back end for the show, a lot of people are doing content on, okay, who hypothetically is going to get signed, who's not, where we think they're going to go, NFL drafts have some coming up, and that's fine. But it's, it's just funny to me, like, we haven't hit – resigning yet we still haven't hit the period where teams are going to start tagging players yet so everything that comes out right now is hypothetical this episode is not this episode is actually not going to expire until probably otas because of what we're going to be talking about today so that's why i wanted to get this episode in now the nfl combine just jumped off we're a couple weeks away from free agency this felt like the perfect time we do have a slew of names to get through today so uh, why don't we go ahead and just hit the drop so we can go and get started. Oh! 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 oh. Yeah, that's right. We updated some drops along the yeah, way, too. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that was... That's a new one, man. Ooh, that's painful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's a computer animation. But yeah, wow. Okay. But that, hey, listen, thanks for having me on. You know, I usually do... Um, a combine slash pre-NFL draft injury episode where I kind of go through some of these rookies entering the draft and their injury history. But I think this segment today is actually probably more valuable, especially for you fantasy people out there. So thanks, Dan, for having me on. I'm honored to do it. Um, first guest of the year. I'm excited. Let's let's get to it. I've got a ton of stuff to share with you guys. And like Dan said, this this information does not expire and this you'll be able to carry well into the year, too, in fact, for a lot of these players. So um, let, let's get into it. Um, we've got a big, long list. We do. Uh, so let's kick it off with big headlines right off the bat because, you know, we're talking dynasty time of year, and these two players are high up on that list. We got Brees Hall and we got Javante Williams. Both suffered ACL injuries. Both happened in October. Different points in October, but both happened in October. So, Brian, break those two down for us first. Yeah, okay, so so two similar injuries, but also two very different injuries. From what we know and from what's been reported and, and what Brees Hall has said, it sounds like he had a pretty straightforward ACL injury with no other major structural damage. And if you watch the reports that we do throughout, throughout the year, that's, that's huge um, when it comes to not only his recovery, but also his performance moving forward. So um, he is apparently ahead of schedule. There was some recent... Um, social media uh, video of him running on one of those uh, anti-gravity uh, treadmills, which is a good sign um, at this juncture. That means he's right on schedule, according to my uh, calculations. Um, he's been interviewed and said that he's going to be ready uh, come preseason and regular season week one. So it sounds like things are going really well. Um, we've had no updates or reports of him ha having any setbacks, any major issues throughout his recovery. So um, barring any of that moving forward, um, I would keep your expectations tempered still because he is coming in off an ACL injury and has, as we have mentioned before on this show, 
and as we have talked about in some of my podcast episodes um, and what we see from other players uh, like Odell Beckham, um, um, J.K. Dobbins, and um, Gus Edwards, for example, you never know what you're going to quite get until players get back on the field and are able to start going at full speed and start doing more specific football activities. So keep your expectations tempered, but it sounds like Paris Hall should do well coming out of this um, after his rookie season. So I expect that he'll make a full recovery, but you know, just like Danielle's entering her second year and she's, you know, starting to kind of get, get used to how things flow and she's shaking off some of that rookie, um, you know, rust. Uh, Brees Hall is going to take some time to kind of get back to where he was physically on the field. So don't expect thing, big things right out the gate. Um, it's going to take some time. And, you know, with Odell Beckham Jr., we talked about the injury re-rates, uh, re-injury rates for ACL injuries are the highest within the first two years coming off an ACL reconstruction. So that's always something to think about in the back of your mind. You know, he's going to be a little bit tempered, um, as is Javante Williams. In You know, they're going to be psychologically kind of thinking about that, and they're going to have to kind of get get over that fear and mentally and physically. Well, when talking about Javante Williams, he, along with his ACL, apparently tore the LCL ligament, which is the one on the outside of the knee, which is not very common because that ligament is super strong. It's literally like wrapped like a, like a really thick cord-like type structure, so it takes a l- tremendous amount of force to injure that. And so that likely slowed down not only his recovery, but it may have slowed down the timing of his surgery somewhat, which then pushed back, uh, pushed back slightly his recovery. So um, we'll have to kind of keep an eye and see where he's at. Uh, the surgery was done, I think, a little bit later in the month compared to Brees Hall, who had it done earlier in October. Um, but given that other injury, it may have slowed his recovery down also. So not only did his surgery get delayed, but his recovery might be a little slower. So I don't expect him to necessarily be ready at the same time Brees Hall is ready. Um, whether or not that's going to cause any other concerns, um, it doesn't sound like there was any other structural damage, although if you have an LCL injury, that takes a tremendous amount of force. It's possible that he may have had some other type of structural injury in there as well. So he's kind of more akin to the um, J.K. Dobbins scenario where he might be ready and you might think he's ready, but he may have some setbacks along the way. So we'll have to kind of keep a close eye on him. So it sounded like to me, both these guys are pretty much question marks come week one. That's what you're saying. Well, I think Brees Hall is definitely going to be ready. The question is, performance-wise, where is he going to be at? As f- when, when you're looking at Javante Williams, he might not be ready at all, step back on the field. So um, I, I do think it's different in that sense. Um, I, I definitely have a question mark over Javante Williams. Comp- I, have, I, I do color-coded stuff for my thing. So I have Brees Hall in green, which tells me I think he's going to be ready to go. Uh, Javante Williams, I have an orange, which basically is like caution. Um, he might not be ready to go preseason and or week one. Well, so okay, so that's going to kind of answer my first question, which was going to be to Danielle anyway, which one do we feel more comfortable about? And Brian's telling me, from what he's telling me, I'm going to go with the guy who has more of a chance to be ready week one. So we can put that one the rest. But what we will talk about is what about their futures and their dynasty values right now? Because that's what's popular at the moment. So we look at Brees Hall. Are you, do you, Danielle, from a dynasty standpoint, do you have any kind of, you know, apprehension when it comes to Brees Hall going full board? Let's say you're doing a startup draft right now. Will you take Brees Hall in the top 10 of running backs, Alpha what Brian just said? 
I would easily take him. I think he has a lot of talent. And from what few games we saw of him last season, he had incredible statistics. He looked awesome. He had 80 attempts, 463 yards, four touchdowns. And that's just in the very short few weeks that we got to see him play. So imagine you get to see that play over time with an entire season over the past next years, watch him develop even more. I mean, I can't see any negative. Obviously, he is dealing with the injury, and hopefully he doesn't re-injure himself because, like you said, that is a concern. But I would take him. His pros outweigh the cons, and he has too much talent to pass up. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Even redraft leagues, I still think it's going to be hard for us to see him not in the top 12 for redraft leagues coming up. So good, clean bill of health there. Exactly what I want to see. We talked about Brees Hall and the consistency grade in a video we dropped uh, on our social media feeds uh, where I pretty much laid out, had this guy not gotten hurt, we might have been talking about Brees Hall being the RB1 overall. That's the kind of streak he was on until that injury came down. What third? third in our consistency rankings, and yet he only played eight games. That's what we're talking about when it came to Brees Hall. So, yes, sky's the limit. We don't even know who the quarterback of the New York Jets is as of this moment. It doesn't seem to matter because no matter what they do, it's going to be an improvement. Yeah, all aboard the Brees Hall train. Now, Javante Williams, as Brian lays out, we kind of have to take a different tone. Now, I was already kind of concerned about Williams from the standpoint of you bring in Sean Payton, who has this history of using platoon backs to begin with. So now I got to deal with this. And and trust me, guys, I'm with you. I got Javante Williams in a number of dynasty leagues. I'm just as pissed off as you are. Yes, Sean Payton's an improvement. And yes, you had Alvin Kamara be an RB1. But I don't like taking away a guy who is a three-down bell cow back. I also don't like the fact that he is not going to be ready to go right away. Because now what's going to happen, Danielle? They are going to look for a running back in free agency or the death sentence. They could potentially draft somebody. And all of a sudden, Javante Williams in a platoon, even when he is back and healthy, not this this year, but possibly for 2024 too. Are you as concerned as I am or what do you think? I don't feel confident by any means on him with everything that was stated earlier on with the injury and with him unlikely to come back for a few games. Definitely adds some concern. Also, just his upside, it was while we did only see a few games from him, it wasn't a great showing for him, which does get me a little bit concerned for the future. Obviously, though, you're not going to dictate one's entire career based off of his first few games. So I am a little bit concerned going forward. I think that he has a lot of potential and I think he will be an average quarterback, but I don't think he'll be a standout quarter. uh, Sorry, running back by any means. Yeah, that um, that cuts me. That cuts me real deep right there. But, but uh, hard to disagree. It's a tough situation. Now, hopefully, he can pull a J.K. Dobbins, comes back in the second half of the season, and he's every bit as good as was advertised before and he takes back the job we don't have to worry about. Hopefully, the Denver Broncos sign a veteran and don't draft a prominent running back within the first three rounds. If they do those things, he could still come back. But his, his unfortunately, his dynasty jeopardy, it's really in jeopardy. Uh, I just, which is such a shame with a guy with such high, high promise. Um, here's an interesting conversation we can have. So, Brian, we kick this back to you. Kyler Murray dealing with his ACL, and we pretty much all kind of understand that he probably will not be back to start of the season. Yeah, and so when you look at Brees Hall and Javante Williams, one thing they had going for them was the timing of their injury. So best case scenario, you're back by nine months. You get injured in October, you're looking at like a July, August return. 
but you get injured in November. Now you're talking about maybe an October return, September, October return. It really puts things in questionable doubt about make, being ready for the start of the season. And now Kyler tore his ACL, but he also tore his meniscus. And a lot of times how they treat that will dictate how your recovery goes. So if they were able to repair it or tried to repair it, that'll definitely slow down the rehab. That'll push it back closer to probably a 12-month rehab. If they didn't and they were just able to debride it or clean it and there was no other major injury to the cartilage underneath that meniscus, then he's likely to try and still shoot for that nine-month target time. But, um, you know, it, a lot of times what this does is it causes a lot more swelling in the knee. It can sometimes kind of hamper their um, um, their what their knee is doing before surgery, and sometimes it will slow down or push back the timing of the surgery. So all those things are, are factored into Kyler Murray. Now, the other thing about Kyler Murray, which was different from Brees Hall, I'm not too sure about Javante Williams, was Kyler Murray's was a non-contact injury, which is a little concerning from physiologic standpoint because you have to wonder, like, could he potentially have this issue on the other side, especially now that he's dealing with one bad knee? Is there something else going on that maybe caused it? Could it be something with his conditioning program? Maybe he wasn't quite, you know, uh, in good. Yeah, too much Call of Duty. <laughs> I shouldn't take shots at him, but it's just yeah, too well, easy. That's, that's right, but that was a big, con- <laughs> but that was a big topic uh, last year. So maybe that, maybe there's some truth to that. Um, so you know, non-contact injury is uh, definitely a little bit more concerning um, for the long-term health and overall health of the athlete, um, especially in, a, in possibly sustaining an injury to the contralateral side, which is uh, a real risk after coming off of one side there is a real potential to injure the opposite side. So something, you know, that I'm sure the healthcare team is thinking about. Um, but yeah, the big, the big thing, uh, the big difference aside from the, the timing was also the other injury to the meniscus. Yeah. So this is the conversation I want to have about Kyler Murray. Does he even play next year? Danielle, you can help me out with this one. Maybe I'm crazy. Let, let me know if I am, but if he's not playing till halfway through the season, let's say week eight, week nine, with the Cardinals roster the way it is, this is a team that might be two and seven by the time he returns. Are you going to bring back a quarterback with an over $200 million contract for a lost season at that point? And I think I have to question it. Now, I, I ultimately, I think he does play because if he's healthy enough to play, they'll play him. And also, my caveat would be, well, do they really want to go two years before he's able to play? And I do think that's fair, but... At the same time, I don't know if I'm getting my franchise quarterback hurt even worse coming off of a major injury either in a lost year. I don't know. What do you think? I see exactly where you're standing from, and I easily, easily could see them going that route, especially with Colt McCoy and McSorley both on their roster. Well, I mean, they aren't greatest quarterbacks that you could have, but they have the two okay options to go for at that point they're going to be more than halfway through the season at that point so I understand your concern but I feel like there's no way he doesn't play at least a few games because like you said he just extended his contract back in July of 2022 and if you're paying him that much money to sit on the bench for an entire season it's not great you don't want to be wasting money all that time you also don't want him to become rusty over those years and then put him back in the next season say okay let's try to have a winning season here so I think they'll definitely play him for a few games and hopefully he doesn't get re-injured. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I will say this. I forgot to get the drop. I really wanted the drop. I forgot to do it. Got busy with other things. But I don't know if you two saw Jonathan Gannon, his little intro to uh, Rondale Moore. Did you guys see that drop? I can, I think I can kind of imitate it for you. He walks up to Rondale Moore, and I don't think he realized who it was that he was walking up to when he first 
first did it, all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, what's up? Uh, shots, explosive, pew, 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 pew. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are we talking? As a 49ers fan, I love it. Cardinals, you keep doing Cardinal-like things and get the hell out of my way. But <laughs> you just gave this guy a five-year contract, and he's talking to his players like a 13-year-old child. I don't know what Arizona's going to do with anything. It was hilarious. I should have pulled that drop. I will get it for future shows. Don't you guys worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can't wait to bag on the Cardinals. They're going to be my new favorite team to bag on. Just FYI, guys. Uh, it's fun. Kyle, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that was a classic. That was that's going to be up there with those coach drops for like forever, for years. Uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, MCL. He just suffered that in November. It probably was the best thing that could have happened to him with the season he was having. Uh, <laughs> Brian, what's going on with Kyle Pitts? Okay. So uh, the key thing here was despite the injury and the subsequent surgery, uh, it's been reported in several uh, publications that he had a repair of the MCL. And typically repairs do very well. Um, no residual long-term issues. Um, the recovery is usually pretty quick, anywhere between three to four months. Uh, depending on how they repaired it and the type of tear that there was. But apparently he's on schedule, his recovery, in his recovery, um, and we should see him ready in plenty of time for the preseason. Um, he may come out of there playing with a brace on initially, but uh, long-term-wise he shouldn't need anything. And um, it, hopefully uh, as long as there was nothing else wrong, um, we should see him ready for preseason week one. Okay, so that's the good news. Danielle, here's my question to you, and this is where we can theorize a little bit about what we think is going to happen this offseason. I didn't think there was any chance at first that Desmond Ritter was going to be the starting quarterback. And then we had Arthur Blank come out and kind of sound like he wanted to give him a vote of confidence or, I mean, at the very least, I guess, keep the guys, the little kids hopes up in case they wind up striking out on everybody that they want. If it is Desmond Ritter, are we going to go back to the well and continue to rank Kyle Pitts as a top five tight end for the third year in a row, still waiting for production? Oh, I really hope so. He's an awesome tight end. And based off of what we saw from last season, you don't need to be an awesome tight end week after week to make it in the top five, because we saw some very questionable tight ends in the top five last season. And let's be real, Kelsey's number one, everybody else. It could be anybody else in that top five. It's and I think Pitts has the potential. We saw his very first season. We saw him do excellent things. We saw him, I think he was the fourth best tight end his rookie season, which was incredible to see coming out of his rookie season. Now, obviously Ritter is his quarterback that does add in a little bit of questions, but if Ritter can just throw the ball to wherever Pitts is, they will be perfectly fine. So I'm hoping that Ritter sees what talent Pitts has and just has him as his main guy, because if he does, he will easily be a top five tight end. Can he throw him the ball? That that's the big question mark. Can can he? I don't know that he can. It's, it's a small it's a small sample size, but in four starts, the guy had two touchdowns, and you're going to have to share the load with Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is a tremendous talent, but until he gets a real quarterback, I don't know. Because even with Matt Ryan, he goes over a thousand yards, but he can't get in the end zone. They're going to have to answer that question for me. Otherwise, you know what? I think I'm going to go a Travis Kelsey, a Mark Andrews, a Dallas Goddard, a TJ Hawkinson, a George Kittle, and he's left outside my top five right off the top of my head if that winds up being the case. I don't know. I want Kyle Pitts to be in there. I love him. He's a freak. I don't want to see freaks go wasted, okay? It's it's a travesty to the sport. It's a travesty to what we do here in fantasy football. 
but I can't help myself. It's going to be Des- if when one more person tries to tell me that Desmond Ritter's young Dak, I'm going to throw something at their face because give me a break. This is <laughs> this is ridiculous. Because we all want a Dak, obviously. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, all right, Brian, let's go yes. to your Giants. Wando Robinson, ACL, and kind of more interesting from dynasty standpoint than uh, maybe you would think right off the bat. Yeah, well, so good good news is, especially if you're a Giants fan like myself, uh, Wandale Robinson was quoted as saying that he's got a clean ACL tear, which, you know, unlike uh, Kyler Murray, um, maybe more akin to Brees Hall, no other major structural injuries. Sounds like he's on schedule with his rehab, but he's had no hiccups. And this is all coming out of his mouth now, not just the press releases and, and stuff. So um, we expect that, or I would expect that he'd be ready by that nine-month mark. That's about September. So I don't think we see him in the preseason at all. I do think, depending on how he feels, they may be a little bit conservative with getting him ready for week one. But if you look at the timing and you listen to what he's saying, um, he, he potentially could be. Will we see him as explosive as he was last season when given the opportunity? Maybe not. That might take a few weeks under his belt to get back into game shape, but um, he, he should be ready come September. All right, we'll throw Zach Ertz in this conversation too real quick. Yeah, so um, initially when he got injured, they thought his ACL was intact, but it was later revealed that he tore both the ACL M and the MCL, um, which is usually a very common combination of injuries there. So the, the and now the caveat to this is that some reports said that he had to have both repaired. Well, Usually what you do is you reconstruct the ACL. You don't repair it. Um, so it's not likely that they repaired the ACL. It's more likely that they reconstructed the ACL and probably repaired the MCL. Um, so this may have slowed down his recovery. Um, so you're looking probably closer to that 10 to 12-month mark um, for him to come back. So, again, with the timing of this, probably looking at September, October, I don't think he'll be ready week one. Um, we should see him, though, um, within the first couple of weeks of the season at some point, probably get in there and be cleared. Um, but I don't think we're going to see him ready for, for game action until a couple weeks in. And this is and this is why we love Brian, first of all, because he's able to point out the difference. And the reason I lump these two guys together, they both had ACL injuries in November. They both occurred during the same month. So I was just curious to see how exactly ACLs can be widely differential. And I'm glad Brian's here to kind of lay that out for us. So for Zach Ertz, I think this could be the end of his career. They, they drafted Trey McBride. So even if he comes back to Arizona, he probably was going to have a starting job anyway. He's already slow as molasses. He runs like a robot out there to begin with. And and now we're talking, you know, probably next November is when he could actually make a return safely. So this could be it for Zach Ertz. So he's probably not going to have any kind of fantasy relevancy. But, Danielle, let's talk about Wondell Robinson because it's kind of intriguing. You could probably buy him a little bit low right now in Dynasty, and I wouldn't mind shucking over Maybe a second round, if I have a lower and second round draft pick, perhaps. Because when we break it down to the Giants, they need wide receiver help. But they had to resign Hodgins because why? Well, there's nothing out there. Free agency, no wide receivers. The draft, a eh, little bit shaky this year as far as that goes. And the Giants have a lot of other holes. Who knows if they actually go wide receiver right off the bat. And even if they do, because they kind of screwed themselves by going so far into the playoffs, they have a later round first round draft pick. So I don't know. I'm sure what that is necessarily going to look like. There's a real chance here. When we break this all down, Wandale Robinson could wind up being the starting slot receiver. Is that how you see it? Do you have confidence in him in your, would you want to have him on your dynasty league? 
I would want to have him because while it might not pay off right now, give it two or three seasons and it definitely will pay off for you. And like you said, you can probably get him on the lower end, which is great. And him being the main wide receiver in the Giants team right now is key for his success because, I mean, like you said, it's not a good year for wide receivers. You're not going to really trade anybody. Who are you going to trade? There's not really great free agents and don't even bother going to the draft for wide receivers right now. So I think he will do great. And I think the Giants so far have a pretty good offense. And while people might doubt Daniel Jones, he's pretty it's pretty okay. I'm I was an avid Daniel Jones hater for a while, but he slowly started to um, grow on me. And I think that I can trust him enough to be able to provide Wandale Robinson with the targets and the receptions that he needs to succeed as a wide receiver. I'll touch on that. And I'm I'm torn when it comes to Wandale Robinson. Whoever the slot receiver is of Daniel Jones. That's number one guy. That's the guy you can trust week in and week out to get the targets. That could, should be Wandell Robinson if, in fact, he's good to go week one. Here's the problem. And it's, it's, it's signified by the fact that he got his ACL injury in his rookie year. The guy is as light as a feather. Okay, he gets one decent hit. He gets crumpled up, swallowed whole. I know the new thing has become these little tiny wide receivers who are way like 160 soaking wet because they're little mini and they get all open and they get all the separation because of all the new rules in the NFL. But until they actually do get hit, and then we have this problem on our hands. Well, and had, the good thing is it wasn't it wasn't a non-contact injury. Um, it was. It was a freak. No, not Wandale. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't. You're right. Yeah, he, he got tackled out of bounds, um, and actually it happened, like, on the sideline. So it was kind of a freak thing. Um, so, you know, just take that with a grain of salt, obviously. But uh, it, Kyler Murray now, he, you know, smaller guy too, um, athletic. But his was non-contact all the way. So um, I understand what you're saying, but just remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a quarterback and wide receiver, but that does lead me yeah. to my next point. Wandale Robinson, very dependent on his twitchiness and his quickness to get separation. And now we have a knee injury to come back on that. Very curious to see, because he can't win balls by going up contested. He's not going to out-physical anybody. So really curious to see what Wondell Robinson, the pathway is there if he's healthy enough and it lines up that way with the roster options or lack thereof that they may have. But eh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Is he worth a flyer? Sure. If you're in a situation, you need that third receiver, you have a late second round pick, that's probably about the value he have for him anyway. But I don't know. We'll have to see. I want to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we got more injuries to go through. It'll be the lower leg on the next segment. So everybody stay tuned. And we'll be back with the MD's Fantasy Football Show right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you have trouble waking up in the morning? Well, not anymore. Because Invader Coffee is here to make you look forward to that morning sunshine. Rated one of the best, smoothest tasting coffees on the market today. Originating out of Texas, this rare coffee product 
is able to reach new heights in quality from its air roasting process, creating coffee beans with the most robust and smooth flavor you will ever find. So make your mornings more enjoyable by going to invadercoffee.com and use the promo code BELLYUP for 15% off your next purchase. Again, that is promo code BELLYUP for 15% off of your Invader Coffee purchase today at invadercoffee.com. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back in to the MD's Fantasy Football Show for the very first live episode of the 2023 year. Yes, we are here. I'm your host, Dan Mater. Thanks for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Make sure you check us out after the show. You can stay up to date with us when you download us on your favorite podcast app. We're available to you on TikTok, Instagram, and of course, on social media too. I'm here with my co-host, Danielle Dubois. And of course, we have Mr. Brian Scott on from the Injured List podcast as we do the injury inquiry episode. So we talked about some of the ACLs going on, some headlines there. I want to get to another headline player to kick off this segment because we're probably going to go into in depth with this, not just with his injury news, but Daniel and I, quite an interesting conversation we need to have here heading into this off season. That would be one Mr. Lamar Jackson. So Brian, give us a skinny on his health real quick. Okay, so heading back to last season, it was quoted and stated and reported that he had a grade two bordering on grade three tear of the PCL. So that's basically the ligament that sits right behind the ACL. Functions slightly differently, not quite as important to overall knee stability as the ACL. Although with isolated PCL injuries, which is apparently what he had, um, some players and some athletes will complain of instability. And if you have an isolated PCL injury that is creating chronic instability, then that will sometimes necessitate surgical treatment. Otherwise, if you don't have that lingering instability in the knee, you can get away with letting the PCL basically heal on its own and scar in without any, without basically relate, leading to any long-term instability or knee issues. So guys can play with this injury. Guys can come back relatively quickly from this injury. We've seen that with some other players. I think that, I forget who off the top of my head, but I know there was, I think, a tight end this past year that had a PCL injury and came back within a few weeks. It might have been... Um, one of the guys in the Eagles, I, f I forget. Um, so it can be done. It has been done. Now, I haven't seen any reports that he had surgery in the offseason, but reports did say that he was not able to get back in time for the playoff game because he was feeling some instability in that knee. So I'm assuming, if he didn't have surgery by now, that that instability has resolved, that his knee is doing well, and he's probably just been rehabbing this entire time. Um so I would expect a full recovery if that's the case by the time preseason rolls around. Um, and hopefully it shouldn't cause any long-term issues. We'll probably see him play when he gets back out there with a brace on. Um, if he develops any issues, though, going forward with stability of that knee, that could set him back and possibly necessitate something being done in the near future. But we'll have to wait and see when he gets back on the field. 
So could that, I mean, so it's a wide range, it seems like, with the injury. Could that have led to why there seems to be a disconnect between what Lamar Jackson, how long he felt like he needed to be out, and what seemingly during the season the Ravens thought he should have been back? Absolutely, because the PCL um, injury, you can feel that clinically on exam when the PCL has been injured, but it's not really, again, consistent or significant with overall stability of the knee. Now, it's more of a subjective thing when the athletes complain that their knee feels unstable with a PCL injury. And so it's possible that there was a disconnect between what the clinical exams were showing, what the healthcare team thought, and what his feelings were and his sensations were of feeling stable on that knee, which caused him to not be able to come back um, relatively quickly and in time for the playoff matchup. So, yeah, um, there could have been a disconnect there. It could have been more him kind of looking out for his future, not wanting to um, dispose himself, or expose himself to any further damage to that knee, and you didn't feel confident or, or ready to get back on it. And so that's why he pretty much shut it down. Um, so, yeah, there certainly could have been a disconnect there. Okay. Okay. It makes a little bit more sense. All right, Danielle, the floor is lava when it comes to this topic, so let's just go ahead and hop right on it. Lamar Jackson, what happens? Go. Oh my goodness. I am either going to get like lots of hate for these comments. Obviously I have no idea. He's not going to stay with the Ravens though. I, that's my Ooh, take. I like I mean, that. Yeah. You know, spice it up. I, I can, I can see him staying, but I can see him also leaving. And in this world, I'm going with him leaving. And I think two places that I think would be great to see him at is the jets have lots of young wide receiver talent, lots of, Lots of offensive talent, just their quarterback. That's that's it. That's all they really need. Lamar goes in there. Awesome team. And I'm saying that as a Patriots fan. So you guys know I'm serious <laughs> about something. The other place I would think would be a little bit um, interesting to see how he is, is Green Bay or maybe Tampa Bay, depending on their quarterback situations. Obviously, if Green Bay, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, they need a new quarterback unless they really want to go with Jordan Love. But bringing in Lamar, who has experience, who is a powerhouse, a powerhouse quarterback, thrives in Green Bay. So I think that he would be he would be an interesting match for uh, matchup for Green Bay. I think he's more obviously more mobile than Aaron Rodgers ever was and ever will be. Um, so that would be a new adjustment for Green Bay. But I think he'd bring a lot of power, a lot of offensive talent there. But Jets is my number one option for him. Jets is the number one option. I mean, they should be the number one option because not not only is that a great fit because they have all the weapons, but that's probably at this point one of the more realistic options if you're not going to say the Ravens. And, and I appreciate that you did it. I liked your thought process on that one. The odds are is that he sticks with Baltimore because they just they could franchise him if they really want to. They're not going to transition tag him. That's not going to happen because if they franchise him and trade him, they'll get more than just two first round picks. So they're not going to transition tag him. It's either going to be they franchise tag him and trade him or they franchise tag him to hopefully get done a long-term contract. But I can tell you this right now, Baltimore fans, if you think that they are going to suddenly close a $100 million gap and a fully contract by March 15th, that's not going to happen. We're not going to find out in the next two weeks that Lamar Jackson signed a long-term deal with Baltimore. Just, just not. Not with the way negotiations have been going. Anything can change, of course, but they've been doing this for way too long to suddenly think in two weeks, yeah, they'll have everything patched up. I would like Lamar Jackson to leave Baltimore because one of my next questions would be, do we think 
him no assuming he stays with the Ravens, do we think him no longer having Greg Roman is going to be a benefit? And I kind of asked that question before they made the hiring of Todd Mockin official. And I'm not a fan like that. I just, I don't understand it. It makes absolutely no sense. If your goal is to throw the ball more, Todd Mockin is coming from a laundry list of, I was in Georgia for two years, a run balance team. He was on Cleveland before that in the disaster year with Freddie Kitchens, where they actually ran the ball more than they threw the ball. The only time he's actually been part of an offense that was in the top 10 in pass attempts was with Tampa Bay when Bruce Arians was calling the plays. So I don't like the hiring of Todd Mockin. So we kind of just throw that question away because, no, he's not going to benefit not having Greg Roman. So at this point, I'd rather see Lamar move on. This won't happen. But just for fun, just for fantasy purposes, I want to see him go to the Dolphins. You have Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. If they bring back Raheem Mostert, just put Lamar Jackson on that team. You have the fastest quarterback, the two fast receivers, the fast running back, and just go speed, 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 speed. As a fantasy guy, as a Madden guy, where you can't teach speed, that's what I would want to see. It won't happen because they're not going to be able to afford to give up the draft capital plus the contract. They're trying to figure out things with Tua Tagovailoa, but that's what I would want to see outside of the more realistic opportunity, like Danielle pointed out of going to the Jets. I will just disclaim this, though. If you're betting on where Lamar Jackson is going to go, the more probable bet is still with the Baltimore Ravens. But we could dream. People move around the NFL now. It's like the NBA. I love it. More things to talk about. Make it more exciting. Okay. Let's talk about Jonathan Taylor. So he had ankle surgery in January. So, Brian, what are you seeing here? Yeah, so the lower leg stuff, this is really good stuff for me because uh, there's a lot of nuances here with all these lower leg guys that we have in the list. So Jonathan Taylor had uh, ankle surgery on January 25th. Um, he had missed seven games with this with this ankle injury during the year and also had some problems in years past with this uh, ankle. And Ian Rappaport said that he spoke directly to Taylor recently who told them that during the surgery they were able to clean out a lot of junk in his ankle that was from all those old injuries and that he should be ready to start um, the season. So I, I do agree with his own assessment there. Um, it's more likely that when they went in and did that arthroscopic surgery, which is likely what they had, that um, they found some, you know, uh, a lot of inflamed tissue and things that might have been floating around in there that they could get out. And it sounds like he had what I think, and I had, this hasn't been reported, but this is what I think, is that he had some type of uh, ligament reconstructive surgery on the ankle, which historically tends to be one of the better surgeries that we do. It has a great um, rec track record of uh, doing well um, back to performance levels. Um, the short recovery time, usually three to four months. Um, so ankles surgeries of this nature are usually very um, reliable, uh, very good outcomes, and uh, no major long-term lingering effects, assuming that um, all the injuries he had prior didn't cause any major structural injuries. So uh, sounds like good news, and I expect him to be ready. Okay, that is that's fantastic news. So Jonathan Taylor was another guy I did a video on for consistency rankings. And I actually pointed out the fact that while everything went terrible for the Colts, we were, we're dealing with Sam Ellinger and Jeff Saturday as the head coach and the offensive line was absolutely terrible. And Jonathan Taylor himself was a credible disappointment. I mean, you dra most people draft him number one, not us, not here at MD nation, but you know, most people did draft him number one. He was still, I, I believe it was 14th off the top of my head in our consistency ranking. So even with everything going bad, he was still more times than not, at the very least, an RB2. And it can really only get better when I'm looking at a Jonathan Taylor. So, Daniel, my question to you is this. What needs to happen for Jonathan Taylor to become potentially the RB1 again next season? 
Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think he has obviously the potential. We've seen it before. We've seen him become the best RB one. We've seen him become, we've seen it. And I think he has the talent and hopefully he's able to rebound off of that injury after the fact. And I think based off of his numbers last season, though he was awful the first half of the season and then was injured, he still put up great numbers after the fact. He started to kind of rebound later on. So I'm hoping that he comes out with that kind of fire. And obviously, if you're the Colts, you need to know what talent you have and you need to use him as a RB1 because you know exactly what he can do. We've seen it in the past, and I think he can easily get back to that number one RB RB spot. Yeah, so they got to get that offensive line better, for sure, without a doubt. We still don't know who the quarterback's going to be, and that's going to be a big thing, too. But we do know the head coaches. That's Shane Stetchen. And the question's going to be, is he better than what you had in Frank Reich? And I have to say, you know, things with Frank Reich, they kind of ran stale. Like, he just came off the Eagles, had a great year. I wasn't overly impressed with the complexity of the offense that they were running, but he definitely got the job done. And as soon as he took over for Nick Serini dating back to 2021, we saw a massive improvement. So he knows how to curtail to his players. What impresses me about him as a play caller is what he did with the Chargers during Justin Herbert's rookie season. So that's how I know that he can either play with a mobile quarterback or he could play with a pocket passer. And all these people talking about, you know, do they wait for Anthony Richardson? Is that going to be their game plan? I say, hey, he can win with a pocket passer too. We've seen it happen. So those are all good things. I think Shane Stetson ultimately is a good thing for Jonathan Taylor. Ultimately, he's back in my top probably five at the very least I'm going to have a conversation about whether he'll be in my top heading the next year. He's still in the prime age, 24 years old. It means he still has two to three years of prime left in him. He's one season removed from an 1,800-yard season, one season removed from an 18-touchdown season. And I don't even know if we saw the best out of him then. So Jonathan Taylor is somebody who's going to be in that conversation for me, but we do need to see who's the quarterback. We do need to see how they improve the interior of that offensive line to dictate whether is he a top three or is he in the top eight. And I think that's what we're going to have to see. But luckily, from an injury standpoint, it sounds like he's going to be, in fact, good to go. Let's have a debate about these next guys. I think it's an interesting conversation. And, and Brian, I'm actually going to shoot three at you because um, yeah. one guy is actually going to probably pollard the conversation anyway. So it's Tony Pollard, who had a broken fibula. Uh, we had Antonio Gibson. He's dealing with an ankle issue. And then we'll throw J.D. McKissick in there with his neck issue because that's kind of going to dictate our conversation between Tony Pollard and Antonio Gibson. Oh, I got He threw me a kink in there. McKissick, I got to scroll down to the bottom of my list. But, hey, no problem. I'll cover. <laughs> um, so Pollard, not a big deal. Sounds like it was a very straightforward fibular fracture. Should be a straightforward surgery. Should be a straightforward recovery. I expect he'll be ready to go preseason i don't think we'll see any major long-term issues with him the caveat to all this and and all the athletes we talk about is the short the the shortened preseason games you might see these guys might be ready but you might not see them in preseason so we might we're not going to know exactly what we're getting to get with some of these guys until week one that's the downside of the shortened preseason good because it doesn't put these guys up for possibly getting injured um but it also it probably increases the the fact that they're probably not going to play because they're just not going to risk it coming off an injury. So uh, I think Pollard might fall into that group. I think he's probably going to be ready. We probably won't see him, though, until week one, but I don't think we should see any long-term issues. Antonio Gibson, um, same kind of thing. 
Um, I'm not exactly sure which bone he fractured. Um, I Most of the reports I saw said that it was actually his foot, not his ankle. Had some type of surgery in January. Um, my guess is that it was probably some type of stress fracture that uh, that wasn't healing. Um, he actually uh, reportedly played through this injury for several weeks um, before having to sit out. So um, it so- that's what it sounds like to me. And this is pure speculation. I haven't seen anything to confirm this. But if that's the case, it sh- as long as it heals fine in the offseason with the surgical fixation, then we shouldn't see any long-term issues and he should be ready to go. Now, with McKissick, um, unsure of the, to the exact injury. Um, it's, a, it's a neck injury, right? Um, yes, correct. I had that wrong. But um, he, he did see a spine specialist. Uh, he was told he did not need surgery, but he would need several months of rehabilitation and therapy to make a full recovery. So it sounds like going into the offseason, that was the plan. I haven't seen any uh, reports to say whether or not that's going according to plan or if there's been any setbacks, but um, we'll know come preseason re- whether he's ready or not. Now, these neck injuries are really, um, you know, really difficult because you don't know the severity. You don't know uh, exactly what you're dealing with, and any neck injury could potentially be the end of the of your career, uh, as in, uh, Peyton Manning could probably attest to and a lot of other football players who've come through the NFL. So um, certainly not something to mess with. I'm sure they'll take their time, uh, but we might not know what his availability availability is until we get right up to week one. Okay. So the reason I wanted to throw J.D. McKissick in there, Daniel, let's assume for a second that because he's on his last year of his contract, he's dealing with a neck issue, he's 29 years old. Let's assume he, they wind up either moving on or, or, or whatever happens there. And it's just Antonio Gibson and, and Brian Robinson, both guys that, you know, should be ready to go by earlier-ish in the year. It's funny to me that right now, Tony Pollard, his ADP, I, I just had it in front of me, is up there at RB14. Now, it's early, but that's what his ADP is where people are drafting at right now. Antonio Gibson, his ADP is all the way down at RB45. And yet they're in a similar situation. Tony Pollard, assuming they signed Ezekiel Elliott to a new contract, he has his plotter who steals short yardage touchdowns. And we're probably going to see a regression of Pollard from his nine rushing touchdowns. Same thing with Tony Gibson. He has Brian Robinson as his plotter, as his short yardage touchdown stealer. I'm not saying are these two similar in a vacuum. Tony Pollard's obviously a more explosive player. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the value here. With two guys in a very much platoon situation where they could be left out to the win when it comes to actually scoring touchdowns, do we trust their value enough? Is that a gap that is justified? Is Tony Pollard that much better than Antonio Gibson, even though he's in a very similar situation and a year older? I think he he is better, but not by that much by any means. I think based off of the statistics of 193 attempts, 1,007 yards, nine touchdowns, everybody's on a high from Tony Pollard. And if you had him on your fantasy team last year, you're really lucky because he had some really awesome games obviously he had to split time, but he was a really great running back to have on your team. And I don't think anybody necessarily saw him being as good as he ended up being last season. So I think there's kind of a high off of him right now where everybody's like, Oh yeah, like we're definitely going to draft him next year. And it's going to be the exact same as it is was last year. And I don't see that happening at all. I think I agree with you that he's going to regress. He's most likely not going to get nine touchdowns. And I think he'll end up being around Antonio Gibson's ranking. But as of right now, I think everybody's just really high off of the last season and are really kind of 
having over expectations for Pollard because I think he's going to let a lot of people down next season because everybody is so excited about what potential he has. Yeah, it's just, I know everybody thinks I'm crazy for even asking the question right now, but because everything's trending down for Antonio Gibson, except for they just hired Eric Bieniemy, who's a running backs coach. And all indications are he's not bringing the Kansas City offense to town. He's going to bring his own form of conservative, run the ball into the ground for absolutely no reason style to town. And I think we might wind up seeing Antonio Gibson get more touches than we actually realize here. Just a little food for thought, just for people out there. Kind of a curious situation. That's all I'm saying. Uh, We're going to skip ahead a little bit here. I want to jump to, we're just going to do Jimmy Garoppolo because Ryan Tannehill, he's going to stay. It sounds like he's going to stay with the Tennessee Titans. So our our interesting conversation I had planned out for that, it kind of goes out the window. But let's talk about (laughs) Jimmy G. He's dealing with his broken foot, trying to come back. What do you got? Yeah, so uh, they ruled out any major ligament injury or Liz Frank injury, which was the initial concern because those are very significant injuries. And from what I gather, um, and this is pure speculation, he might have had just a fifth metatarsal fracture. Uh, he did not require surgery, um, so he should be ready to start a season. I don't see any reason why this should cause any long-term issues with him. I know we need dominoes to fall. Okay? We need the Aaron Rodgers domino to fall. We need a Derek Carr domino to fall. But, Danielle, if you were to predict it today, where do you think Jimmy G winds up? I, like you said, Derek Carr, I was thinking the Raiders. The Raiders, I think, would be a great place for him. Lots of weapons. Jimmy G, I mean, he has potential, but, I mean, he knows his worth at the same time. You know you're not going to be getting the best quarterback in the world from him, but he's reliable and consistent most of the times, which I think the Raiders really need on their team because you have too much offensive talent for it all go to waste and not make the playoffs or not make a deep playoff run. So I think getting a good quarterback will be really key for them. I think Raiders would be a great spot for him. Also, if for some reason Lamar Jackson doesn't go back to the Ravens, I think it would be really interesting to put Jimmy G in their system. You read my mind, Danielle. That's exactly why I had Jimmy G going to as well. Cause there's no more Derek Carr. He goes back to Josh McDaniels. He already has the repertoire with him. And the other factor is this. I know Mark Davis is broke, but how broke is he? Because if Josh McDaniels has another disappointing season, does he really bring him back again next year? I think he would have fired him this year had he been able to do it. He has to be able to win now or at least try to. The only other quarterback that's available if he doesn't land Aaron Rodgers, which I don't really see happening, would be to go with Jimmy G. So that is going to be my development, too, because even if you look at the Tampa Bay situation, how are they going to pull up the cap room? They're, they're literally getting rid of people left and right. They're talking up Kyle Trask because they don't have the room to sign anybody right now. So I don't see it being Tampa Bay either. The Raiders are the team I think it could work for, and I'm fine with that from a Devontae Adams and from a Josh Jacobs standpoint, assuming Jacobs stays back with the Raiders. Jimmy G knows how to dump the ball off. He knows how to get the ball to his best weapons. And that's what he did in San Francisco. That's what he would do with the Raiders and another system that he's familiar with. So I wouldn't even worry about it from that standpoint. But, yep, great minds think alike. Let's skip ahead to Cooper Cup, who missed half the year with his ankle injury. We'll throw in Allen Robinson just because he's on the same team. So you can talk about both those guys. Okay. Uh, two completely different injuries here. Uh, Cooper Cup had an ankle injury. Um, he had basically a high ankle sprain that he opted to have surgical treatment for, which is the tightrope procedure that you always hear about 
um, with NFL players. So um, a, another one of those surgeries that's very good outcomes, very good results. Um, um, him being in the great shape that he is, being a really good um, off-season conditioner with a good workout program, I see no reason why this will um, be any lingering issues that will cause a problem for him. He probably could have treated this without surgery. Um, the time frame, though, for surgery is actually probably a little quicker than if he had waited. So it's it's actually not a bad idea, considering the still kind of season they were having, the fact they really, really weren't going anywhere. Um, he probably made the right move. Uh, he's going to be ready in plenty of time, and he shouldn't have any long-term issues. Allen Robinson, on the other hand, was dealing with uh, a fracture in his navicular bone in the foot, and these are typically due to repetitive stress fractures on the foot. So um, he had been dealing with this for a while. Um, when elite-level athletes have this, the, the recommended treatment is usually surgical fixation um, to prevent that from going on to what we call a non-union. So um, as long as everything was fixed and healed properly, which it should have by now, we should see him ready also um, with no major long-term lingering issues. Yeah, just a lingering issue of he's old and over the hill at this point. <laughs> Okay, Danielle, let's have this quick conversation and let's have it today in March where it's absolutely ridiculous to have this conversation. Let's have some fun anyway. Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, who is the wide receiver one for you next season? You are very mean to plant me with that question because <laughs> I went back and forth when I was doing my notes and I changed the name like four or five times. You can ask my friends because I was writing my notes with them and they were like, Danielle, just choose one. I was like, I can't though because they're both excellent for different reasons but at the end of the day I ended up saying Justin Jefferson but I could easily flip that to Cooper Cup by tomorrow if I really wanted to so don't take my word too uh, strongly for that I think most likely Cup will be fine obviously he's coming off of an injury though I don't know how the Rams are going to feel if they're going to be 100% confident in his abilities. I think obviously he'll be perfectly fine. He's Cooper Cup. He's awesome. There's no way he doesn't have a great season. But Justin Jefferson, younger, and I think that he just has a more reliable system around him. And while I'm not tooting Kirk Cousins' horn, I think based off of their quarterback situation over there, I feel a little bit more confident in him this season than Cooper Cup. But obviously, both great wide receivers. It could go either way. Don't worry, you chose correctly. You chose wisely. <laughs> it is Justin Jefferson ever so slightly. I'll make a defense for Cooper Cup real quick. This guy got targeted more consistently than any receiver up until that point and still went down on a points-per-game average as the number one wide receiver. He still wound up second in our consistency rankings, and this is with you know the guy only playing half the amount of games. The difference is... Only two out of his six seasons has he been able to play the entire year. Cooper Cup's a guy who misses games here and there. The Stafford thing you brought up. We're about to talk about him in a little bit, so I don't want to give too much away, but I got question marks about Matthew Stafford entering his age 35 season with the injuries that he's had being able to stay healthy. Ultimately, that lends me back to I trust Kirk Cousins to be healthy uh, most of the season because he usually is hopefully don't play too many night games. Hopefully don't play too many primetime games, but as long as that doesn't happen too often, they'll be okay. And Justin Jefferson's still very much in his prime. Cooper Cup entering his age 30 season. Not that I think he's going to fall off a cliff or anything this year. It's not what I'm saying. However, Jefferson very much in the middle of his prime right now. I'm going Justin Jefferson wide receiver one, Cooper Cup wide receiver two. It's fun to have these conversations all the way here in March. Uh, all right, so we got a couple quarterbacks I want to get to, and uh, I got another job for you guys. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel with this next couple of quarterbacks that we are about to talk about. Let's get into the 49er dilemma at the quarterback position. Brock Purdy, UCL, Trey Lance, broken foot. Brian, what do you got for me? Uh, I got a lot on these two. So uh, I'm going to try not to take up too much time. But so no, go for it. Let's start with Trey Lance because his is a little bit more straightforward. He had a, an ankle fracture um, with a ligament injury back in September. Um, had, had to actually have two procedures. So they fixed the fracture, they fixed the ligament injury, and then one of the pieces of hardware on the outside part of his ankle, likely the plate that they put on the fibula, um, was bothering one of the tendons on the outside, which can sometimes happen. This is not unusual. This is not surgical error or mistake. This just happens because the, there's not a lot of soft tissue out there. The hardware sometimes doesn't sit perfectly flush. It can, it can cause irritation. So we had to have a second procedure to remove the hardware, um, and is supposed to be cleared early April to resume football activities. And so I expect that he'll be ready for training camp. I don't necessarily know if he'll be back to where he needs to be come week one, but it sounds like everything went well. The second procedure was just kind of a little bit of a hiccup, a little bit of a bump in the road, but didn't cause a major setback. Yes, he had to have two procedures. He'll have to recover from two procedures. I think he was actually still in a walking boot recently. So that's going to kind of slow him down a little bit, but if that plate was truly the thing that was causing the issue and having it removed, then he should be fine and he should feel better and he should be ready. I just don't think he's going to be 100% come week one. Now, Brock Purdy is dealing with an elbow issue. And, of course, everybody knows what this is because it happened at probably the worst time for the 49ers in the history of the team. Yes, it did. Um, injured, throwing the ball, uh, a, a, a sustained a partially torn ulnar collateral ligament, um, which is an injury that you typically will see in baseball is usually more of the chronic repetitive trauma tears that you see. You don't usually have these acute injuries like you see with Brock Purdy. Um, but uh, there's been a good report actually that was out recently, which talked to the surgeon that's going to be doing his surgery. And the, the, the downside here is that the surgery was actually originally scheduled to have occurred shortly after the season ended but he had so much swelling that was there in the elbow still that they decided to push it back. And so this will now push back his expected six-month recovery. Um, and this is going to put into question whether he's going to be ready for week one because the, the Texas Rangers baseball team, team physician Dr. Keith Meister, is the one that's going to be doing the surgery. And he was actually really hesitant to give a time frame as to when he's going to come back from this procedure and one of the big reasons for this and i can attest to this because this is what we do all the time what i do all the time is you don't always know if the original plan is going to work out until you get in there and take a look at everything so what they're thinking initially is that it was a partial tear that it may not actually need to be reconstructed but a lot of times when they get in there and they see these injuries more often than not it actually does need to be reconstructed and the reason for that is because those reconstructed procedures tend to have better outcomes long-term. Now, Brock Purdy was um, stated as saying he's having a hybrid procedure, which is where they will sometimes do a combination of like a repair and reconstruction. And those are usually not the same as like a complete reconstruction. So the re time frame for recovery is a little bit quicker, but you're still looking at now nine to 12 months if that's what he has to have done. So his whole... <laughs> His whole thing here with the 49ers can be in complete jeopardy, unfortunately, for him. Timing couldn't have been worse for him, the 49ers, and, and all the other quarterbacks they have. 
<laughs> it's a lot to take in, I know. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. It's a lot of heartbreak from a 49ers fan who despises Trey Lance. So um I'm gonna Daniel, I'm gonna need you to, I'm gonna need you to jump in here. Okay. Uh, so let's 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 go with the idea of what's being reported that Brock Party can be back in six months, be back for training camp and have an okay shot to be back week one and not going with the death case scenario that Brian just laid out for me. <laughs> Let, let's go with that idea real quick. If it's that factor, which quarterback would you rather see from a fantasy perspective, not from San Francisco, from a fantasy perspective, which quarterback would you rather see be there under center for maybe their value or everybody else's value that it would affect? As much as I want to say Trey Lance, just to mess with you, I'm mm. going to have to say Brock Purdy because while we didn't see him play the entire season, yes, I just feel way more confident in starting him than Lance. Obviously, Lance has not played a lot either, but what we have seen from both of these quarterbacks has been completely opposite, I would say. Trey Lance has shown me almost zero positive where Brock Purdy went into a very broken team and carried them pretty far into the playoffs. And now obviously he has a lot of other offensive weapons around him to make it a little bit easier, but he still did an excellent job, had 1,374 yards. He had 13 touchdowns, only four interceptions, pretty good statistics considering he didn't play the entire season. He looked good. He's young. He's very confident from a fantasy wise. You want George Kittle on your team. You want CMC on your team. You want Samuel on your team. And he will get them the ball. And I feel way more confident with Purdy being able to get those weapons the ball more than Lance. Thank you. Thank you. So it's not (laughs) uncommon for me to get into social media, Twitter squabbles when it comes to this this conversation. And it happens quite often, believe it or not. Um, There's a lot of Trey Lance lovers out there. And, And somebody said to me, Oh, yes. Trey Lance had 102 pass attempts. It's too small of a sample size to say that he can't run the offense. I'm like, okay, let's use your own logic against you real quick. Let's take the first four starts of Brock Purdy and match them up with the first four starts of Trey Lance. Do I really need to see any more to know who the offense operates better under center? Do I really need to see more of that? Just take the first four games. He's a rookie, seventh rounder, not in the top, first, not in the top five picks. Who is it better with? So from a fantasy standpoint, yeah, if you want just a quarterback, you want Trey Lance. But for Debo, for Chris McCaffrey, for George Kittle, for Brandon Ayuk, you want Brock Purdy back there. By the way, I'm not really a Brock Purdy fan either. I don't like watching guys with very limited arms out there, but I'll take him over Trey Lance in a heartbeat. So the injury will dictate what I wanted my second question to be, which is which one do you think it will be? And and just the recovery process is going to dictate all that. We're not really going to be able to answer that question fairly. I'm going to throw this out there just for a, a little buzz here. I was listening to the Colin Cowherd show and he had Mike Silva on his show who actually kind of floated the idea that it might not be too crazy to think San Francisco pulling Tom Brady out of retirement. So just keep your eye on it. That's not me reporting it. That's Mike Silva reporting that who covers the 49ers. I don't know if it's just a beat reporter, you know, trying to put his hopes and dreams out there, but he put it out there that it wouldn't be too crazy to think because Tom Brady decided to wait that year to go to Fox, that it is potentially a possibility. Yes, Tom Brady will never die. (laughs) He won't won't ever die. In all fairness, I think about two months ago, around 
Uh, maybe a month ago, I sent out a tweet saying if Tom Brady goes to the 49ers, they're going to win the Super Bowl because, duh. And, yeah, I mean, if that could come true, I would love to put that in everyone's faces that I predicted that. Don't do it, Tom. Don't do it. <laughs> it's bad. It's so bad. There's blood everywhere. Okay, I got one more player, and then we can cap this off, this first live show of 2023 for the MDs Fantasy Football Show, and it is Matthew Stafford dealing with the neck issue that he suffered back in November. Was it neck and back, Brian, or was it just the neck? No, neck and concussion. Neck and concussion, concussion. that's what it was. Thank you. So, yeah, he went on the IR on December 3rd. Um, (laughs) Not so much for the concussion. It was more for the neck injury, which – was reported as a spinal cord contusion, which is very concerning. Um, you know, it's essentially a spinal cord injury. Um, a contusion, obviously, not as bad as like a severed spinal cord or spinal cord entrapment or tearing. I mean, that that would be major catastrophic. Uh, but still, a spinal cord contusion is a very scary injury, especially in your neck as a football player. Um, but he was recently quoted um, on a podcast that his wife, I think, hosts or something that he said he's not going to retire um, because of the injury, that he's been given the green light um, to, to return back to the sport. And uh, he should be um, good to go um, once the preseason rolls around. So I was a little bit shocked to hear that. I was a little bit shocked that he was so confident in returning. I thought for sure after an injury like this, he would at least consider maybe other options <laughs> um, because this – this is certainly an area of the body, and these types of injuries will certainly make you question um, your long-term health and uh, your, your, your place in the game um, at his age um, and with all he's accomplished. So um, I'm glad to hear it, that he's doing well, that it's not a major uh, injury that he's still dealing with and no major long-term consequences up from it, but um, certainly something that was scary to learn and that he underwent, and it uh, uh, sounds like he's doing well. But, um, yeah, major stuff there, major stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, let's not forget, before he got traded to the Rams, Matthew Stafford was on the precipice of retiring, some due to off-field things going on with his wife, but also because he's coming off a really bad back issue, which is immediately what I thought this could be, you know, hand-in-hand with at this point. So I wasn't really sure what he was going to do. It's good to hear he's not going to retire, because um, I do want to see Cooper Cup and, and Cam Akers have a chance to be fantasy-relevant next year. I don't know how fantasy relevant Matthew Stafford is at this point. I mean, even before he went down with the injury, it was not looking too good. So I guess my question, and they don't have the best offensive line in the world, and I don't know how much better that's able to improve. My question to Danielle, I guess, would be this. Do the Rams bounce back to what we saw two years ago? No, they don't. At this point, I don't see that happening at all. I thought if it was going to be a bounce-back year, it was going to be – last year and since it wasn't I don't see them regaining to that point I think that was an awesome team and obviously they just kept adding players throughout the season to make that Super Bowl one run and they got it they won it and they're cleaning their hands of anything playoffs related it seems like I think that they have a great offense they have a very very talented offense and Matthew Stafford is is good he's good but I don't see them getting back to that point at this point. Other NFL teams are just so much better. It's so much more competitive now, it seems like. And I just don't see them getting back to that point, even though they have loads of talent and they have Cooper Cup on their team, which having Cooper Cup on your team is just an unfair advantage, it seems like. 
gets open on everybody. The closest thing to Jerry Rice I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah. So they have to get the offensive line better. That That's going to be the key for me as far as that offensive is improving. Because despite the injuries and everything that went bad for them last year, the thing that was most apparent was that losing Andrew Whitworth was was the catalyst for them. That That's what made it abundantly clear. They're talking about trading away Jalen Ramsey. Like, I don't see the Rams as that organization bouncing back. But I will say this. If, if they can address some things on the interior of that offensive line and they trade Jalen Ramsey, believe it or not, from a fantasy standpoint, that'd be the best thing ever. Because now defensively, outside of Aaron Donald, they'd have nothing. And if you're able to protect Matthew Stafford at all, well, here comes some fantasy points because they're going to have to win every game 35 to 30. So that's the only caveat I throw out there. Can they bounce this thing back? But it's going to come down. Can you improve that offensive line? They're not the only team out there who needs offensive line help, and there's not much to go around. There is some depth this year in the NFL draft, but he'd still be asking for rookies to make a quick turnaround. It will be curious to see. Great first show of the year, guys. Absolutely loved it. A lot of great information. Glad you guys stayed with us live on our YouTube channel at MDFF Show. Make sure you download us after the show on your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with us throughout the offseason. And we'll be back doing NFL draft episodes at the very least. I don't know about free agency yet. We'll see. But definitely we'll be getting you guys ready for the draft because we have our draft special coming up. April 27th and April 28th. We do the first three rounds. It's our third year doing it. We have over 50 guests throughout. No commercial-free streaming the whole way through. Me and Chris are with you guys for 12 hours total is what it usually winds up being. About six hours on Thursday, six hours on Friday. So we'll get you guys geared up for that. Get you ready for your dynasty teams. Get you ready for all of your rookie analysis. I'm glad the scouting combine is coming on. Now, Brian, what are you doing this offseason? Well, for one, Dan, thanks for having me on. We skipped a bunch of people, by the way, just to get everything. We in did, but we were we were getting crunched on time. No, that's okay. I understand. I, I get it. Um, but just for your viewers out there, you know, show us that you want more. Watch this video. Share it. The more likes we get, the more views we get, the more th- a chance that I'll come back and go over some of those other players, maybe during the draft. I don't know. I I tried to do the draft thing last year. I felt a little out of place. I didn't really have much to say. I'm not a draft expert. I'm not a, you know, fantasy expert. I'm an injury expert. That's what I do. So I, I didn't sign up for a block. But if the if the fans want me to come in and do some more updates on some injuries on players that we didn't cover tonight, I'll happily come on during that April show. But other than that, I'm just kind of tooling around, being guests on other people's show, highlighting some some other sports. Baseball's getting into the full swing here, literally and figuratively. So I'm uh, doing a lot of updates with baseball and stuff like that. But um, And hockey's coming up. But, you know, hockey... You can't really report on injuries because they don't tell you what they are, unfortunately. So I'm just kind of floating around doing my Twitter thing and social media thing. So hit me up, drop me a line, check out my other stuff. All my old episodes, a lot of them still apply to all the things going on. I did a big draft. Um, com- I did a big combine history episode of last year, two years ago, and I have that out there. So go listen to that. I did a draft injury special last two years like we talked about earlier. I don't think I'm going to do another one this year. Um, I actually think this is better and more helpful for fans. You guys let us know. But, uh, yeah. Find me. I'll be around. I'll tell you right now, Brian, I'm going to want you to sign up for the preview part of the draft so we can go over some injury news that some of the rookie guys are going to be getting drafted at. So we're, I'm going to sign Brian up live here on the air for, a, for the preview do, spot. <laughs> exactly. He needs more work. Walked right in. Work. I walked right into that, though. So. You did. You did. Yeah. And that would be the perfect time to have you. So you're screwed now. <laughs> uh, Danielle, what are you working on? 
I am writing for a Bruins website. So if you want to know any hockey news, especially Bruins related, check out Black and Gold Productions. I write weekly articles for them. And I am also on a sports debate show here at Emerson College. So you can look up EIV's The Box Score and I'll be there giving some red hot analysis. All right. Getting the hockey gear on. It kills me when you say the Bruins, though. I'm just a big Rangers fan. Very happy about uh, Patrick Kane getting traded to the Rangers by the way. Yes, sir. I'm All right, guys. Fan. I'm happy about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. That's going to do it for the show. Thank you again for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on social media at Show. Hit us up on TikTok and Instagram. We got great videos coming out for you. We got more draft stuff, more free agency stuff, all kinds of content. And we'll be back doing more live episodes throughout the off season. I'm Dan Mater. We'll see you guys again soon. Yeah.